بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلم وتسلموا رسالة الشريف اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حبيب مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حبيب مجيد This is session number 82 in our series Islam's Greatest Personalities and part 31 uh, in the seerah of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Today's discussion, inshallah, will be regarding the propagation of Islam outside Mecca. Now, up until now, we find that day by day, Islam was growing, Islam was spreading, Islam was becoming stronger and stronger. And Rasulullah was guiding people out of the darkness, out of the darkness of ignorance, into the light of guidance. And the Prophet was showing the people the path towards Islam. Now, anyone listening to the Prophet if they didn't have a bias, they didn't have an agenda, if their minds weren't corrupt, then when they would listen to him, automatically they would accept his message. And they would understand what the Prophet was saying and they would be captivated by his words. Now, when the people of Mecca, they tried absolutely everything, to prevent the Prophet from spreading Islam. And as we've seen, did it work? Were they able to prevent him? No. No matter what they did, they didn't succeed. They tried absolutely everything. You name it, they did it. Every kind of move, every kind of scheme, every kind of tactic to stop the Prophet and none of it worked. So now they thought of another idea. What we are doing is not working. We're trying to stop him. He's not going to stop. So now this is a new scheme of the Mushrikeen. Create fear in people's minds. Start talking to people and telling them, don't listen to him. He's like this. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to his message. Don't go near him. Just don't talk to him. Just... So this is the new scheme. They thought that if we do this, people who are coming now in Makkah, they already told everybody already knew. So now they decided anyone who's coming from out of Makkah, they would reach there first. And before they would get a chance to meet the Prophet these people would get there and they would speak to them and they would instill fear. And they would speak so bad about the Prophet and they would convince them, look, just do one thing. Don't listen to him and don't talk to him. There's a man called Muhammad. Don't go next to him. Don't listen to him. Don't talk to him. Do whatever you want, but just be aware we're telling you for your own betterment, for your own safety. If you listen to him, then you're going to fall into danger. And this was the new scheme that the Mushrikeen of Makkah adopted. Now, during that time, there was a man who was traveling from a distant... Now we're talking about, now we're talking about how Islam starts to spread outside Makkah. It was all about in Makkah now. Now these, these are people coming from out of Makkah. So there was a man by the name of Tufail. Tufail ibn Amr, and he was from the tribe of Daus. So this is far away. It's many, many kilometers away from Makkah al Mukarramah, another whole different area, another region of Arabia, and he's coming. And as he's coming towards Makkah al Mukarramah, as he's traveling, now this man was a very noble man. 
He was a person who was very respectable. He was a poet, very intellectual, so very sharp. He was a poet himself, wealthy, generous, hospitable man, and he was someone who was known to be a respectable nobleman, in simple words. Now, he was visiting Makkatul Mukarramah. As he's visiting Makkatul Mukarramah, the Quraysh approached him. They saw that, look, this man is coming, and they knew about him. So let's go to him and tell him to beware and to stay away and be very, very alert. So they came to him and they said, look, you're visiting our city. This is our city, Makkatul Mukarramah. We know this place. We know what happens here. So you have to listen to what we're telling you. And they tell him that, look, there's a man in our city. His name is Muhammad. You must stay away from him. Don't listen to him. Don't talk to him because he's dividing the community. He divides the community. He's separated father from son. He's separated brother from brother. And this is what he is doing. These are the words they use. This is he's dividing the community and his words are like magic. If you sit and talk to him and hear him, then you'll be convinced. So the best thing is just don't listen to him. You don't listen to him and don't talk to him. And to fame Ibn Amr, he says that, look, they said to him that we're fearing that if you end up listening to him, he's going to harm not just you, but even your people, even your tribe, even your whole areas, every, your whole neighborhood, everyone, his words are like magic. So don't listen to him and don't talk to him. To says, he says, Wallahi, they said so many bad things about Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the way they spoke about him was so bad that I was convinced, they managed to convince me I'm not going to talk to him. There's no way this man, he must be so cruel, right? He must be such a bad influence that there's no way I should not go by him, I should not listen to him. So he says, when I entered Masjidul Haram, because when I entered Masjidul Haram, I stuffed my ears with cotton wool. I took cotton wool and I stuffed it into my ears. You're smiling because you're remembering an incident. Let me share it with you. When I said cotton wool, this reminds me of an incident. And th this actually explains what's happening here. It, I, I won't mention any names. When I was an imam in a particular masjid, I won't say where, um, whenever I would start giving the Juma Bayan, there used to be an elderly man sitting on one side. As soon as I started speaking from home, he would bring this cotton wool. And he'd put it like this. When I would start speaking, he'd take it and he'd put it into his ears. Right? So my voice is like going to his ears. When I would finish, he'd take it out. And he carried on doing this. And it's interesting because the message is very similar here. I remember in 2006, we, went to, we were in Bangladesh. And we were in the Dhaka Ijtima, the Tongi which happens, which is the, one of the largest gatherings in the world, a few million people, some, some, some say. I, I remember I was there and it was fascinating. You can't count the number of people. And in, they have different, different talks going on. So in one particular talk, they have different talks for different people. Um, and there was an ulama talk. So in that ulama talk, Hazrat Maulana Ibrahim Dewla from India. From India, people come from Pakistan, from all over, people from all countries were there. It's, it's something to see. I remember walking around in this Ishtima. It's, a, it's just an open land where there's millions of people. And I found a tent, a huge tent, and it had a picture of an ear on it, a big ear. And on the, on the, on the ear, there was a line going through. 
So I was wondering, what does this mean? So when I went inside, I found the whole tent was full of just only deaf people. So they had arrangements. People have come from all over the world who are deaf who can't hear to take part. And through sign language, they were translating all of the talks. So like this, they were different. So I went into the Indonesian camp. There was an Indonesian camp. And Maulana Ibrahim Sahib, he was giving a talk. And in the talk, he was mentioning something. And this some, one talk was specifically for ulama. So I remember something he shared. He said, all the misunderstandings that we have with each other is because of distance. He says, Dono this is what he said. When you rub your hands together, it creates warmth. Because if you don't do it, you won't know. Because if you don't do it, look, I'm doing it now, so I know. If you don't do it, if you keep the hands like this, will you feel the warmth? Because all the misunderstandings that we have amongst each other is because of distance. We don't know each other properly, and this is why there's so many misunderstandings. We just hear things from people, and we assume that to be true. So when we understand each other properly and all the misunderstandings. Oh, this is what people were saying. So going back to this chacha, okay, who was putting this cotton wool in his ears, he happened to travel with us once to Palestine. So he wanted to go, but he didn't know who to go with. So he came to me and said, yeah, of course, I don't have anything against you. I, I didn't say to him that you put cotton wool when I speak, but fine, you travel with us. When he traveled with us, we did his khidma, we looked after him like we do with everybody else. And then from then, his whole thing changed. He started attending the talks, he started coming in. And I just thought, hang on a second, this is... A lot of misunderstandings happen because of distance. Over here we find Tufail ibn Amr, this is what he... Imagine he listened to these people, right? So he thought, okay, let me just put it into my ears. So he's saying, I went into Masjid al-Haram, and he took cotton wool and he put it into his ears. And I told myself, I'm not going to listen to him. I'm not going to go to him. I'm not going to listen to him. He goes, now you know, whenever you enter Masjid al-Haram, even before Islam, during Islam, after Islam, what's the first thing you do? Even the mushrikeen would do it. What do you do? MashaAllah, Azhar just come back from Umrah. What did you do? Tawaf. Okay. May Allah accept your journey. I hope you make dua for all of us. Inshallah. So when you enter Masjid al-Haram, the first thing you do is tawaf. So he says, I came to Masjid al-Haram, I stuffed my ears with the cotton wool, and I started making tawaf. When I was doing tawaf of the Kaaba, I saw the man they were talking about, Muhammad, he was praying by the Kaaba. He's praying salah. So I was told him, I thought, let me stay far, let me stay far, let me stay far. And I'm going round, and he was reciting in his salah. Every time I passed him, I could hear a little bit of sound. Even if you stuff your ears, you can still hear a little bit. Because every time I passed him, I could hear a bit of sound. And then at one point I thought, hang on a second, I'm not dumb, I'm not stupid, I'm not an idiot. I'm a knowledgeable person, I've got my own brain, I can make my own decisions. I don't need to listen to what people say. Let me listen to him, if he's saying something good, I will know it's good. If he's saying something bad, I'm going to know it's bad. I'm not an idiot, I don't need people to tell me. So he says, I'm an intellectual person. Let me see what he's saying. So he says, I took it out and I went close to him and I listened. And he says, I heard the most beautiful thing that I've heard in my life. So I thought this is very interesting. This is Tufail ibn Amr al-Dawsi. 
So he says, I heard this, and there I thought, I stood on the side, and I waited for him to finish. When he finished, he started going towards his house, so I followed him. So the Prophet is walking towards his house, and Tufail ibn Amr says, I followed him. And when he entered into his house, I went inside as well. And he turned back. And when he saw me, I addressed him, and I said to him that, look, um, O Muhammad, your people have said so many bad things about you to me. And they convinced me that I shouldn't listen to you. I shouldn't talk to you. So look, I put this in my ears. He actually told him the whole story. I put this in my ears. I came in. I started making tawaf. But then I thought, I'm a knowledgeable person. I can make my own decision. I don't need people to tell me. I've, let me listen myself. Let me have a conversation with you myself. So when I came and listened, whatever I heard was very, very interesting. I loved it. So I want you to present your deen, your religion, your Islam to me. In some narrations, it says that he said, Oh Muhammad, I am a poet. I am a poet and I want you to listen to my poetry. So the Prophet said, Hat, Hat means go on, go ahead. So Tufail ibn Amr started reciting some poetry. And then the Prophet then said, Now it's my turn. You, you've said it, now let me speak. And I'm going to recite. And the Prophet recited, A'udhu Billahi Min Shaitan Rahim. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. He recited Surah Al-Ikhlas. Surah Al-Falaq. Then he recited Surah Al-Nas. Tufail ibn Amr says, I have not heard, never heard anything more beautiful than what I heard. Nothing more fair as a religion. And immediately I accepted Islam. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu annaka rasulullah. Can you see that misunderstandings is because of the distance? You don't know each other. As soon as he got a chance to speak to him directly, he, he understood that this is not the case. Now, he said, Oh Messenger of Allah, he's become a Muslim. I am a person of influence. In my community, people respect me, people listen to what I say, and generally, if I go and tell them, do this, do this, do this, they're going to follow, they're going to obey me. So I'm heading back to my people, the tribe of those, and I'm going to invite them to Islam. Please make dua for me. How, how are they going to believe me? I just came to visit here. This, my intention wasn't to come and see you. I just came to visit. Now, how are they going to believe me that Islam and Muslim and Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, please make dua for me that Allah gives me a special sign that when I go to them, I can show them or prove to them that look, this is the truth. I'm not just blagging, I'm not just pulling out from my pocket. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he made a dua. He said, Allahumma ja'allahu ayah. O Allah, grant him a sign. Grant him a sign. Tufail ibn Amr, he says, that I, I went back to my tribe of those. And it was a very dark and stormy night. Very heavy downpour of rain, pitch black. And he says, I, we lived in a valley. And he says, as I was returning from Makkah, I came to the peak of the mountain and I was about to come down. Now from there, my people could see me, right? It was a pitch black, stormy night. And as I got to the top of the peak, he says, as I was coming down, I noticed all of a sudden, between, between my brows, uh, a, a light began to shine, a nur, a light. And this is the dua of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam when he said, Allahumma ja'allahu ayah. <coughs> Allah grant him a sign. So this nur came. So 
I noticed it, I could tell that there's some light shining right in front of me here. And this was meant to be to convince the people that he's on the truth and he's got a message from the Prophet He says, I started talking to myself and I said to myself that if people see me like this, they're going to say that because you left your old religion, your face has been disfigured. Your face has been disfigured. Look, you, look what's happened to you. That's not normal. So he said, he made dua, oh Allah, please can I have the light somewhere else? I don't want it here, right? Being a bit fussy here with this sign as well. And immediately Allah responded to the dua, it's in the hadith. And he says, I was carrying a whip. So the light moved in front of my eyes and it came to the top of my whip. So when you have a whip, right? A whip at the end, at the top of the whip, right? He says that it, it was hanging like a lantern. So you've got the whip. There's nothing in between and this noor is hanging as if it's a lantern. And holding this, I entered into my tribe. So people could see and everyone was attracted now. Everyone seeing what is, what is going on, what have you bought? This looks magical. So I entered into my people, into the people of those. And everyone was seeing. So the first person he said, I went to, I went to my father. My father had become old. So my father saw this as well. He started coming to me and I said, oh, go away. He said, what's, what's the problem? I've got nothing to do with you. Because what do you mean you've got nothing to do with me? You're my son and your father. He goes, no, we're on different paths. We're on different ways. Your way is different. My way is different. What's your way and what's my way? He says, I, my way is Islam. I am now a Muslim and I follow Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The father says, I want to follow your way as well. Remember I told you he's a man of influence and he's bought a sign with him. So he says, no, 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 father, you can't do that. You need to take ghusl. First you take ghusl, wear clean clothes. The father went, he bathed himself, he changed his clothes and he said the kalima, ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasooluh and he accepted Islam as well. From there he went to his house. His wife came to embrace him, no, stay away. What's wrong? What's happened? That's strange, you never do this. We're on different paths now. We've got nothing to do. What do you mean that this is, you don't talk like this normally? Because I have become a Muslim. I believe in one Allah. And I believe Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam as a prophet. She says, I want to follow this as well. So Tufail said, well, you have to go. And he named a place. He named a place where the idol of Dos used to be. So in Dos, you know, in every tribe, there used to be an idol. So this was actually known as the sun god, the sun god. So go to this place and there's a spring. There's a spring there, Dutthara. There's a spring there, take a bath over there. And after you have, and this particular idol was found in Petra as well. Uh, and today you find this idol is preserved in a museum in Damascus. Um, the same idol that they used to worship there. In Arabia, you don't find it anymore. They say in Petra, there was the same idol. And in Damascus, in a museum, this idol, sun, the sun god, is actually found there. Anyhow, so she came and she bathed herself, she wore clean clothes, and she also accepted Islam as well. Some of the scholars have mentioned that his mother didn't accept Islam. Now he goes to the rest of the people. He's got this, it started off really good, right? Dad's accepted Islam, wife's accepted Islam. When he starts speaking to the people, despite the sign he got, people don't really listen to him. No, we don't want to know. We don't want to know. No, we don't want to know. So now he gets disappointed. And he makes a journey again all the way to Mecca. And he comes to the Prophet and he's very upset. And he says, Oh Prophet of Allah, my people are not listening. 
They don't want to know. They're not listening and they're taking really long to accept Islam. People are not listening to me. So, O oh, Prophet of Allah, please can you pray against my people? Can you curse them? Do a dua against my people. So immediately the Prophet faced towards the Qibla. He raised his hands. Now even the people that had surrounded that were not Muslims, they all started to say, the tribe of those is about to be destroyed. If the Prophet raises his hands and he prays against the people, they said, the tribe of those is about to be destroyed. And the Prophet raises his hands and he says, Allahumma hdi dawsan wa'ti bihim. Allahumma hdi dawsan wa'ti bihim. Allahumma hdi dawsan wa'ti bihim. Oh Allah, guide the people of those and bring them here. Oh Allah, guide the people of those and bring them here. Guide the people of those and bring them closer to Islam. And Tufail ibn Amr said, O oh, Prophet of Allah, curse them. And he's saying, Allahumma He said, curse them, O Prophet of Allah. He's saying, no, Allah guide them, Allah guide them. And then he says, this is in Bukhari. Then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says to Tufail ibn Amr al-Dawsi, ila qawmik fad'uhum warfuq bihim. Go back to your people, invite them to Islam and be soft and gentle with them. Don't be too harsh. Don't be rough with them. Be nice, be kind, be polite, be gentle with them and they will accept, they will listen to your message. So now what happens, he goes back to his people and he starts in now the dua of the Prophet was such. Now think about it. The Prophet migrated to Medina and in Medina they have Badr. Year later they have Uhud. Sometime later they have the Battle of Khandaq. And when the Prophet is in Khaybar, at that time Tufail ibn Amr al-Dawsi comes from the tribe of Dawus and meets the Prophet in Khaybar with 70 to 80 households who have all accepted Islam. Not people, households, entire families who have accepted Islam. And do you know who is amongst them? Who is amongst these people? A very famous companion. A very, very famous companion. I'm going to give it away if I say the narrator of hadith, Abu Huraira, radiallahu anhu. The narrator of hadith, you hear his name very often mentioned. Abu Huraira, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, is from the tribe of those. Look, look, look where it comes from, okay? Where the Prophet tells him that, look, go back to your people. He prayed for them. And this is, and what's interesting is in Khaybar, when the Sahaba got the spoils of war and the war booty was received, the Prophet ﷺ distributed some of it to these people as well. And they were also given a part of it as well. So that was one story of in how Islam starts now spreading out of Makkah. Can you see? Although the Prophet ﷺ himself hasn't gone out yet, but someone's come from out. And then he's gone and Islam starts spreading out of Makkah al-Mukarramah. 70 to 80 households um, is a lot of people, especially when you've got the likes of Abu Huraira, radiallahu ta'ala, imagine how many others there would have been. Another person was also in search of the truth. His name is Jundub bin Junada. Anybody know what he's better known as? Jundub bin Junada. Very tall man, he had thick hair, and even during the days of ignorance, he remained a monotheist. 
did not engage in idol worship even during the days of jahiliyyah ignorance he would say that there is only one god even in jahiliyyah and his name is jundub bin junada a man once came to him a man came to him in his tribe i'm, I'm going to give it away now he's from the tribe of zifar who is it abu dhar al-zifari radiyallahu anhu amazing unique personality abu dhar al-zifari studying the life of the sahaba you will find how every single one of them was very unique and this that's a whole world in itself and diversity and understanding the differences and just looking at everyone's superpower how they were all different and everything they had and they did was their own superpower in their own unique way abu dhar al-zifari he had a very high sense of morality and he did not accept he couldn't fathom like how can you worship an idol there's no islam at that time right and it's not as if he was a christian or anything but he just didn't he thought, how can you worship an idol like it just didn't make sense to him so he believed that there's only one allah but he didn't know about islam so when he was in Ghifar, a man came to him and he said, Do you know what you say? Do you know what you've been saying? Do you know your idea about there's no God besides Allah? There's a man in Mecca who says the same thing as you. So I think I found you a match. Right? I found somebody that you can have a little talk with and you know, share your ideas. So he gets quite interested and very curious. That, okay, I've not come across anyone like this who says the same thing as I do. So he gets his brother. His brother's called, I think, Unais. And he calls him and he says to him, look, go to Makkah and I want you to find out about this man. Let me know what does he believe in, how does he go about his things. Just get some intel and info about this man, I want to know more about him. So his brother comes to Makkah to Mukarramah and as he enters Makkah, he tries to find out more information about the Prophet wasallam. And when he comes back, um, he comes and reports back to um, his brother, who's Abu Dhar, and he says, well, one thing I can tell you for sure, he's not a poet. He's not a poet. And he teaches people about good character. And um, yeah, these are the kind of things that he said. Abu Dhar says, I'm not satisfied. Like, I wanted a bit more than that. that that's, that's very general. You kept it very general. I wanted more information. So Abu Dhar decides to undertake the journey himself. So he prepares some luggage, he gets a skin of water, and he leaves. And he arrives to Masjid al-Haram, and the idea is he's searching for Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So he comes into Masjid al-Haram, and he's looking around, he spends the whole day there. And he goes around everywhere. Um, and the whole day he's walking around, just trying to see where is this man? Where is this man who says there is no God besides Allah? Night time comes and he still hasn't found the Prophet So he decides to take a rest. So he goes to a corner. People would come from all over the place. Makkah was one of them places. He found a spot and he just lied down. He thought, let me go to sleep here. So he goes, I was resting. Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu was passing by. And Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu noticed, he's, he's narrating this. He says, he noticed me, I was lying there. And he said that it seems that you've come from uh, a distance. You're not local here. You're a traveler. He goes, yeah. He goes, why don't you come to my house and rest? Because okay. 
And Abu Dhar radiallahu says that I followed him, I went to his house, neither did he say anything to me, he didn't ask me any questions, I didn't ask any questions. Because Ali radiallahu ta'ala was being secretive, so was I. I didn't want to tell him why I'm here. I didn't know. Am I supposed to? Am I not supposed to? I didn't know who he was. And similarly, Ali radiallahu ta'ala didn't. Despite that, the hospitality is still there. So he invited because I went to his house. I slept there the whole night. Morning came without even telling him, I ran back into the haram. And my idea was that how can I find this man who's called Muhammad? So I spent another day in Masjid al-Haram. I just went round and round and round looking for this man. Night time came, I still haven't found him. I went to that same spot and I lied down. And Ali radiallahu comes again. And he says, you're still here? Yeah, I'm still here. Come home. Okay. Because we went home. I'm quiet. He's quiet. He didn't say a word. He told me, you can rest here. I rested. Morning came, I left again. I came into Masjid al-Haram. And the whole day I spent looking for Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and I didn't find him. And then he says that night time came, I went to that same spot, Ali radiallahu anhu says, you again. Yep, are you coming home tonight? He says, okay. Now, now, he says that Ali radiallahu anhu on the third night when he noticed me, he said, so why are you here? What brings you to Makkah? So Abu Dhar says that I told him, look, I'm only going to tell you if you're going to help me. Otherwise, forget it. He goes, okay, you tell me, I, I, if I can, I'm going to help you out. He goes, I've come here to look for a man called Muhammad. What did you say? Muhammad? You're looking for Muhammad? Well, he goes, look, tomorrow morning, I'll show you where he is. By the way, he's the most truthful person and he's the messenger of Allah. This is Ali speaking, right? The nephew of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi one of the first Muslims, right? And imagine he'd met somebody else. He met Ali radiallahu anhu and he tells him that, look, tomorrow morning, come with me, follow me, and we'll go. So he did the, the, the rest during the night. And in the morning, they start going. So before they go, he gives him some instructions. He goes, look, I'm going to start heading towards one direction and you follow me. We, we don't know each other, right? I'm going to carry on going, you just follow me. If I sense any danger, I'm going to go into the bushes, into a corner behind the tree, acting as if I'm going to answer the call of nature. Right? I'm going to pretend as if I need the loop. I'm going to go to one side. You carry on going. Carry on walking. And then what I'll do when I notice that the danger is no more, I'll catch up with you. Once you see me walking in front of me, follow my direction. So like this he says, the following day, Ali radiallahu anhu left from his house. And I started following from a distance. When he turned right, I'd go right, he turned left, I'd go left. At times he went to a side, I carried on, so that no one would know that we're together. And then he indicated as he was walking to a house, and he carried on. And I entered into the house. And inside the house was Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He says, this was our first meeting with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And I entered the house, and I informed the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that I'd come from the tribe of Zifar. And immediately he says, I accepted Islam. I mean, Abu Dhar already believed that there is only one God, but he didn't know about Islam. So meeting the Prophet was like the best thing that could have happened. He accepted Islam, but the Prophet said, look, you can't stay here. Things are still very tense. He's from out of Makkah. You don't, you don't have anybody. In Makkah, you needed protection. If you wanted to stay there alive, Right, you need the protection. He's from out. He doesn't have any of his tribe. 
you go back to the farm, you invite them. When you hear that we have become dominant, right? We are, our numbers have grown, and we've got power. Muslims have power. Then you can come back and join us. Otherwise, don't come until then. So as he's leaving, he said to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that Wallahi. I'm going to say La ilaha illallah in the presence of all the mushrikeen. You know, when you have a high sense of morality, some people do certain things, right? And it seems odd to you. But that's just, that's just the way they are. And we respect that. We honor them for who they are. You can't kind of change that. You pick, nowadays, we call it someone who's neurodivergent. Okay? It's a type of ADHD. And this is, you find this, that the sense of morality is very high. They might... They might not be, it doesn't mean that someone who has ADHD is necessarily uh, unintelligent or they've got special needs. Some people with ADHD are very, very sharp. They're very, very brainy. But certain things they struggle with. And that's just the way Allah has created them. It's not a weakness. It's not, they're not, it's not as if they're suffering from something. So one of the things they find they have is they have a very high sense of morality. You'll find that they can't. They will say they will say things as they are. They can't be like just you know beating around the bush. They, if they want to say something, they say. Sometimes they're like, look, not over here. He said, well, what's wrong? I'm speaking the truth. I'm not saying anything wrong. And we try to kind of change them and control the way they. That's Abu Dhar radiAllahu anhu. And because the world doesn't operate on that system, people like that tend to struggle, right? So they might not be, for example, morning people. They've tried it, but it doesn't work. Routines don't work with them. So similarly over here, um, Abu Dhar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, look, if this is the truth, I'm going to go out, I'm going to say it. And the next morning, he went into the haram, and he says, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, wa ashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasoolu, and that was it. The mushrikeen came and they pounded him. Mercilessly, they beat him. They beat him up. And they started attacking him brutally. And until Abbas, radiallahu anhu later on, the uncle of the Prophet sallallahu physically he crouched over him like this to stop the punches and the kicks. And said, leave him alone. Don't you know who this is? He's from Zifar. Where was the trade journey? The trade journey of the Quraysh was going to where? Asham. To get to Sham, you have to cross through the tribe of Nifar. Because do you want problems with your economy? He goes, leave this man alone. Otherwise, if the people of Nifar become awkward with you, you're not get, getting any, your trade caravans will not pass through. So he covered him and gave him security. And then that night, Abu Dhar radiallahu anhu takes a rest. Next morning, Abu Dhar radiallahu anhu comes out. And he does the same thing. And they start beating him again. And Abbas comes and he covers him and he tells them the same message. And the third day, exactly the same thing. To him, it's like, what's wrong? What, why, would, why should I hide it? Why should I not announce it? I am a Muslim. This is the truth. I'm going to announce it. And he announced it. And the Prophet Abbas anhu, he told the people that leave him, otherwise you're gonna have a lot of trouble and your trade caravans will not be able to pass from Zifar. And the Prophet praised him with such uh, a compliment which we've not heard for anybody else. This is an exclusive thing for Abu Dhar al-Ghifari 
radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that's why we call it, this was his superpower, as opposed to calling it a weakness, it's his superpower, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, مَا أَذَلَّتِ الْمَا أَذَلَّتِ الْخَدْرَى وَلَا أَقَلَّتِ الْخَدْرَى أَصْدَقُ مِنْ أَبِيذَرْ Since the sky has not sheltered, and the earth has not housed anyone more truthful than Abu Dhar. The Prophet ﷺ took the, I mean, there were many truthful people, but the fact that he, his sense of morality was so high, he said, basically with Abu Dhar is, you, what you see is what you get. What you see is what you get. And we find it tough with people like that, because sometimes they, they're kind of very open. They're just very rash about things. They say it as it is. Right? But the Prophet ﷺ said, well, this man, right, the sky has not sheltered anyone who is what you see is what you get. There was no two-facedness going on. There was no just, you know, beating around the bush or trying to sugarcoat things. He said it. What, he, what was in his head, what was in his mind, he said it. When you spoke, you knew this is him. He's not pretending, he's not pretending to be fake to you. He just said it as it was. And the Prophet ﷺ, during, there's no, uh, during the time of Kabuk, um, so uh, some more things about him. So in Tabuk, we find that the battle of Tabuk that took place, you know, as how far they went, right? It was the furthest the Prophet goes from Medina. Very, very far. And Abu Dhar who was part of this expedition, his camel decided to become very lousy, just with a walk. Right? He tried a few times, he wouldn't walk. Do you know what he did? He thought, okay, you don't want to walk? That's fine. He got off the camel, he took all of his luggage, he carried it on his back, and he started walking. And you can't go on this kind of a journey walking. Right? He started walking. And the Prophet وسلم, and the Sahaba, the first place where they camped, so everybody's camped, and they've stopped there. They've got, you know, when we go to the services, so they've, they've stopped, they've got this camp now. And everyone stopped, the camels are on one side, the people are resting on one side. Maybe they're going to stop there for some time or maybe overnight they're going to rest. And as they're resting, some time has passed by and all of a sudden everyone's resting and chilling out in this camp. And in the distance they can see there's one man, right? They can see a man coming and they think, who could that be? In the middle of nowhere, there's a person walking with luggage and he's walking up. And the Prophet when he saw him, the Prophet actually said that I hope it's Abu Dhar. I just hope it's Abu Dhar. He just said it. I hope this is Abu Dhar. And when he came, it was Abu Dhar. So on a journey, everyone's on a camel. His camel wasn't going, so he thought, right, let me just leave the camel. He just went. And he, he, he got there. He managed to reach the Sahaba walking on this expedition. Obviously, they've not all, gone all the way there, but he's reached to the camp. And this is the time when the Prophet said, Rahim Allahu Aba Dharrin, may Allah have mercy on Abu Dhar, Yamshi Wahdahu, Wayamutu Wahdahu, Wayubathu Wahdahu. In life, he's going to walk alone. In life, he's going to walk alone. When you have certain traits, you don't get on with people. It's just one of those things. Because it, it's not what everyone else is doing. And the Prophet said, May Allah have mercy on him. Allah show kindness to him because he's going to struggle. He is going to struggle. Rahim Allahu Aba Dharrin. Allah have mercy upon him. He's going to walk alone. He's going to die alone. On the day of judgment, he's going to be resurrected alone. And what happens? 
in the time of Umar. Now, there's many stories that happen in between. A couple of Jumas ago, I mentioned something when we were talking about advices, and the Prophet ﷺ told him, Abu Dhar, right? He loved him, right? You've seen all of all the other things, so it wasn't as if this is the only thing he said to him. Abu Dhar, I noticed there's a weakness in you. Therefore, never ever become a leader between two people. Not you. Someone else can do it, not you. You can't do it. Abu Dhar again, very high sense of morality. He believed you're not allowed to possess anything, any wealth, more than you need for that day. That was it. He believed it. You're not allowed to own or possess anything extra than what you need. Now, there were some Sahaba that were millionaires, some were billionaires, some were well off, some were okay. So, he believed that strongly. How's he going to get along? How's he going to get along? Because he believed that, that. That is something he believed. He, he was driven by that. He couldn't see beyond that. That is how, that is how he saw things. So the Prophet He's going to walk alone. He's going to die alone. And he's going to be resurrected alone during the time of Umar bin Uthman uh, ibn Affan radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He was actually sent away. He was having too many fights with people because his way of thinking was very different. So he was sent away that you, best thing for you is you go and live in Ramadan. And Ramadan is actually 175 kilometers from Medina. It's quite a distance. He lived there, him, his wife, slave, three people, that's it. No one else, no community. He's living there, doing his own thing, and he's happy. Because he's, he's, you know, he's got his own way, and, he, and he's doing it. And then, when he became ill, and he's about to pass away, he told his wife and the slave that, look, when I pass away, I want you to wash my body, and then shroud me, and then carry my body and take me onto the side of the road. Put me onto the roadside. Any caravan that passes by, stop them, tell them to do my janazah and to bury me. So what happens? He becomes ill and then he passes away. Wife and slave, there's nobody else there. In the middle of nowhere, in Ramadan. They begin to, they wash him, they shroud him, and then they take his body and they place it on the roadside. On the same day, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, a great Sahabi of the Prophet is returning from Iraq with a group of Sahaba and companions. And they're coming to Makkah to perform Tawaf. They're coming on the way and almost the camels, they almost trod over his body. The slave of Abu Dhar ran out and he said, stop, stop. This is the companion of Rasulullah, Abu Dhar al-Ghifari. And Abdullah ibn Masood got down and he broke into tears. And he said, Sadaqa Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Messenger of Allah spoke the truth. Yamshi wahdahu wa yamutu wahdahu wa yub'atu wahdahu. The Prophet sallallahu spoke the truth that he will walk alone, he will die alone, and he'll be resurrected alone. And he couldn't control himself. He led the janazah in the middle of nowhere. And he, could, he was astounded that the Prophet said this about him many, many years ago. And today here I am actually living this prophecy 
he leads the janazah and he buries Abu Dhar al-Ghifari. Great, great Sa'adi. I mean, we don't have time to go into the stories of Abu Dhar al-Ghifari. Maybe some other time. But briefly, I thought I'll just share with you. And this is in the Musadraq of Imam al-Hakim and many others have mentioned this as well. So that was another Sahabi who accepted Islam from out. He was from Ghifar. And he came and he accepted Islam. Um, another individual is Rimad ibn Fa'laba. He was from the tribe of Azd Shanu'a. And he was already friends with the Prophet from the days of ignorance. So he knew the Prophet they were good friends. And you know, they, they had they were familiar with each other. And he was like he wasn't a doctor, he was more of a witch doctor. Yeah, that's the right word. Okay. He was more of a um a Raqi kind of person. You know, the, the voodoo guys. So he, he was into that, um, that kind of stuff. So anyone had any kind of problems, um, he'd go and he'd re do his recitals, chanting. He'd start chanting, exorcist kind of person. And he would cure a lot of people actually benefited from what he would do and recite. I don't know what he recited, but he was, he was helping people and it was working. So when he came to Mecca, one of the times he was coming to Mecca, the people of Quraysh, like they would go and brainwash people, they tried to brainwash him. And because they knew that he knew him already, and they knew that he was like an expert in what he did, they told him that the Prophet, they said the Prophet has got some mental health issues. He's gone insane, and there's something not quite right. So the Mahdi ibn Thalaba, he became concerned. Alhamdulillah, I go around curing people, I help people. Maybe I can help him out. I help other people. Maybe I can go and help him and cure him. So he comes, I need to see him right away. So instead of him not going to the Prophet wasallam, he thought, let me go and see him. So he comes to the Prophet wasallam, and he said, look, I can cure you by chanting and blowing. You know how we do Rukia and you blow. So whatever he used to do, because so many people have benefited from what I do. So maybe uh, you can also benefit from my services. Would you be interested, he said? Would you be interested? And the Prophet wasallam, he looked at the Imam ibn Fa'lama. And you know what he said to him? He said, Inna alhamdulillah, nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nastaghfiruhu wa nu'minu bihi wa natawakkalu alayhi wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyi'ati a'malina man yahdihillahu falahadiyala wa man yudlilhu falahadiyala wa nashhadu an la ilaha illa allahu wahdahu la sharika la wa ashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasooluhu amma ba'd Rimad ibn Fa'laba he was amazed. He says, can you say that again? And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa repeated again. Inna alhamdulillahi nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu. He says, can you repeat it again? Three times he made him repeat it. He says, I have never heard anything so fascinating. I am so deeply touched and so inspired by the words that you've said. I've heard the words of fortune tellers, of magicians, of sorcerers, of poets, but I have never heard such beautiful words. And it's as if the depths of the oceans are hidden in these words. And immediately he said, stretch out your hand. I want to kiss your hand. And he accepted Islam straight away. He said, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasooluh. The next time you hear this khutbah, don't take it lightly. These are very powerful words. This was a man who came to treat the Prophet ﷺ. He got treated himself. 
Okay, he thought it's coming to treat him. He came into Islam, just these, these words are powerful words. The words of the Prophet wasallam. they are using the khutbah for a reason. So listen to them with attentiveness, with your heart and not just the ears. So that, you know, the barakah of these words of Rasulullah wasallam enter into us. And the Prophet wasallam also told him, you've pledged on your behalf, I want to pledge your allegiance to me on behalf of your people as well. He says, okay, I pledge on behalf of my people as well. So this was another person who came from out of Makkatul Mukarramah. Another individual who came from out of Makkah was a person by the name of Suwaid bin Salit. And this is a man who the Prophet actually invited to Islam on many, many, many occasions. You know, some people you try much more with. So this was one of those individuals where the Prophet invited him to Islam on many occasions. He was actually from the tribe of Aus, so from Medina. So he's from the tribe of Aus. His mother was Layla bint Amr Najariya, who was a sister of the mother of Abdul Muttalib. Abdul Muttalib's mother is Sal 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 Salma bint Amr, and she is Layla bint Amr. So his mother and Abdul Muttalib's mothers are sisters. That makes Abdul Muttalib and him cousins. Okay? So the Prophet is inviting one of his granddad's cousins to Islam. Not once, not twice, on many, many occasions he uh, invited him. And he was known uh, amongst the people as Al Kamil, the excellent, most complete person. Why? Because he was just excellent at everything. He was an excellent poet, excellent leader, excellent character. In everything, he was excellent. So people actually named him Al-Kamil. Whatever he was, oh, Al-Kamil is here. Right, the perfect one, the excellent one. Now once, from Medina, he came to Hajj or Umrah. And the Prophet ﷺ saw him, so he, again, once again, he invited him to worship only one Allah. And the man, Suwaid ibn Samit, said that, look, what you possess, meaning Quran and Islam, um, it's very similar to what I've already got. Like, we, we've kind of got similar things. So I don't really see what you're calling me to. I've already got something to follow. Um, so the Prophet ﷺ said, What do you have? What do you have? I know what I've got. What have you got? So he responded, he took out these papers and he had on there the hikam of Luqman alayhi salam, the words of wisdom of Luqman. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had a look at it. And he said, you know, say some of the things. What does it say? And he said some of the things. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, okay, good stuff. Sounds good. Words of wisdom. And then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Inna hada la kalamul hasan. What you've just recited is good. Good, fancy. What I have is better than what you've got. What you've got is good, but what I've got is way better. It's Quran. Allah has revealed it directly to me. You've just got a scripture you found somewhere, someone's passed it to you. You don't know really, is it, are these the words of Luqman or not? What I have has come to me directly from Allah. It's 
Hudan and Noor, guidance and light. Then the Prophet ﷺ recited some Quran, invited him to Islam. He said, impressive. I like it. It's good, good stuff. But he left from there. He didn't accept or anything. He just said, you know, it's good. From there, he went to Medina Munawwara. When he got to Medina Munawwara, uh, after the Hajj or the Umrah, the people of Khazraj intercepted him and they killed him. He was killed. Why did they kill him? Because they thought he accepted Islam. Most of the scholars say he hadn't accepted Islam. And they thought he accepted Islam and they killed him. Some of the scholars mentioned that he didn't accept Islam then, but maybe later on he did. Because he, he found it impressive, maybe later on he did, and because of that they killed him. That's Hafiz ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, rahmatullahi al-Shafi'i, he says that we won't call him a Sahabi, because when he was in the presence of the Prophet he wasn't a Muslim. Even if he became a Muslim later on, maybe, maybe not, we don't know. But this is, some scholars say that this is what triggered the battle of Mu'adh, which happens before Badr, we'll talk about that later on, the killing of Suwayb ibn Sabit. Another man by the name of Iyas bin Mu'adh. So, there's a guy called Abu al-Hasir, Anas bin Rafi', he comes to Mecca, and with him there was some youth from the Bani Abdul Ashhal. And among this group was a young person called Iyas bin Mu'adh. Now, the reason they came to Mecca is they wanted the support of the Quraysh against the people of Khazraj. So the Prophet ﷺ, when he found out that they'd come to Mecca, now he wouldn't miss an opportunity. He found out they'd come to Mecca. He went and sat with them. But let me see what, you know, what these people here for. He figured out why they've come over. They've come to get support from the Quraysh. So the Prophet ﷺ said, tell you something better? That you've come to get support. I can give you something better than that. So they go, yeah, go on, why not? He said, Ana Rasulullah, ba'athani ila al-ibad, ad'uhum ila an ya'budullah, wa la yushriku bihi shay'a. I am the messenger of Allah. Allah has sent me to call people to worship only Him and not to ascribe any partners to Him. And Allah has revealed the Quran upon me. He spoke about Islam, he recited some part of the Quran in front of them. Now, Iyas bin Mu'adh was a young person amongst them. He said, oh people, this is way better than why we originally came. We just came to get support from the Quraysh, but this is so much better. Abu al-Hasir, who was a leader of this group, he became angry, picked up a whole handful of soil, threw it on his face, and he told him to shut up. He said, you be quiet. What we came for is much more, there's nothing more important than why we've come. What this man is saying is that important. We've come to get the support of the Quraysh, and this is why we've come. And from there, they left for Medina. When they got to Medina, Munawwara, sometime later, Iyas, he passed away. And the people, his own people later, risk report. Now, in his final moments, when this young man, Iyas bin Mu'adh, was passing away, in his final moments, when he was on his deathbed, he was saying, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar. So, he, it seems as if Islam just penetrated into his heart in that moment when he said that yeah this is why we're here for this is way better it seemed like islam just captured his heart and he died later uh, soon after this and he was saying the kalima on his deathbed now here we're going to stop in terms of speaking about 
people coming from out and we're going to be soon speaking about in the next session inshallah about the journey to Ta'if because that is what happens next but before that I'm going to touch on um, something before we conclude for today and that is the Prophet وسلم, as you know Khadija has passed away so what happens now in terms of his marital life so after Khadija radiallahu passed away, the Prophet وسلم, his next nikah was to Sayyida Aisha radiallahu anha. And what's very interesting is prior to this marriage, the Prophet وسلم, according to the hadith of Bukhari, according to the hadith of Muslim, Bukhari hadith says that Aisha was shown to the Prophet وسلم, in a dream twice. Hadith of Sahih Muslim mentions Aisha was shown to the Prophet three times in a dream way before he got married to her. So this isn't something he went and did himself. He would have even thought of it. This is something that Allah instructed. It was arranged by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the hadith says, Says that in the dream, I saw an angel. And the angel was carrying a silken cloth. A silken cloth. And I said to the angel, like, lift the cloth. What, what, what is it? Lift it. What, what is this? What are you covering? And when the angel lifted the cloth, I saw Aisha, your face. And this happened once, it happened again, it happened three times. And then the hadith of Bukhari says, I said to myself, if this is from Allah, Allah is going to make it happen. If this is actually, I'm seeing this dream, and Allah wants this to happen, Allah is going to make it happen. Because even he was thinking, like, how, how did that happen? Abu Bakr was his best mate, Aisha was still young, how is it going to happen? Like they, they treated each other like brothers. But if Allah wants something to happen, He's showing me a sign not once, not twice, three times. He said, if Allah, if this is from Allah, He's going to make it happen. And the hadith of Sahih Muslim. So how did that happen anyway? The Prophet didn't even in his wildest dream think of this himself. There was a lady by the name of Khawla bint Hakim. She was the wife of Uthman bin Bad'un radiallahu anhu. We've spoken about Uthman bin Bad'un before when we spoke about the migration to Abyssinia and also about him accepting Islam in the early days. So Uthman bin Bad'un's wife, Khawla bint Hakim, you know you get matchmakers, right? It's always been the case. You've got certain people that are matchmakers. This is what they're good at doing. So this lady, a wife of a Sahabi, comes to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is after Khadija radiallahu had passed away. So, O oh, Prophet of Allah, not thinking of getting married. Some people are doing this all the time. Okay, so this lady, she turns to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, not getting married again. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was also aware of how to speak to her. Who have you got in mind? When somebody asks you that, a lot of times, it's they've got someone, but they're waiting for you to say something. Who have you got in mind? It seems you've got, you know, what's, what's the proposal? So, she goes, I don't have one, I've got two. He goes, okay. Choices, choices. The Prophet said, go, go ahead. 
So she asked the Prophet of Allah, would you be interested in someone who's not married before, who's a virgin, or somebody who's a widow? She's already been married before, and her husband's passed away. I've got both choices. So the Prophet said, okay then, go on, like, carry on, elaborate. Who's the one who's not been married before, uh, who's still a virgin? So she says, Aisha, the daughter of your friend, Abu Bakr, your beloved friend, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, his daughter, Aisha. Ah, okay. And who's the one who's a widow, who's been married before? And she says, Sauda bintu Zama. She's a very good woman. She's accepted Islam. She follows your teachings. She follows your ways. Good lady. I can vouch for her. Um, so the Prophet says to Khawla bin to Hakim, Okay, why don't you go and propose to both of them? Go from me, propose to both of them, see what they say. Fine, I'm open to it. And now he's already seen the dream regarding Aisha radiallahu anha, not once, not twice, three times. Khawla bin Hakim arrives at the house of Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu is not at home. Who's at home? His wife. What's his wife's name? I've asked this question before. Who's the wife of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, mother of Aisha? Anyone? Um Ruman. You gonna remember this? Yeah? Are we gonna remember it? No one's even like saying inshallah or anything. Yeah, are we gonna remember this? Inshallah. What's her name? Um Ruman. So she speaks to Um Ruman. She's really excited. She's like, I've got some amazing news for you. Blessings upon blessings upon blessings. Congratulations. Got some fascinating news for you. What is it? Calm down. Like, what's, why are you so excited? She says that I've come with a marriage proposal from Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam for your Aisha. So she goes, oh, okay, like, wait, we have to wait for Abu Bakr. My husband is not here. See what he says. So she hangs back in the house and she's waiting for Abu Bakr. And very soon after, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu arrived and she said exactly the same thing. I've got some really good news for you. Blessings upon blessings. I've come with a proposal from Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam for your daughter Aisha. Abu Bakr radiallahu said, is that, is that even suitable? Is that even right? Like, isn't she considered his niece? Like, me and him are like brothers. So that's his niece. So Khawla bin Tuhakim thinks, hmm, okay, let me go and check. So she comes to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, says, I passed on this message of yours, but Abu Bakr radiallahu is asking about the suitability. Like, isn't she considered your niece? And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, irji'i, irji'i ilayhi. Go back to him. Faquli lahu, ana akhuk, wa anta akhif al-Islam, wa ibnatuki tasmukhuli. That go back to him and tell him that I'm your brother and you're my brother in Islam, not blood brothers. We are Islamic brothers, Muslim brothers. And your daughter, if you think suitable, then she's suitable for me. Meaning, yes, this marriage can take place. We're not related in that way. We're just brothers in Islam. Ah, okay. Now, Abu Bakr radiallahu when he heard that the Prophet was proposed, Khawla bin Tuhakim says, he told me, hang on. 
wait here. I can't say yes to this yet. And you might be thinking, why would he not say yes? Why would he not say yes? Because somebody else had already proposed for Aisha. Aisha already had a proposal from somebody else. Right? She's six years old. She already had a proposal from somebody else. The Prophet's proposal wasn't the first one. This was already a normal thing. It was already going to happen somewhere else. So Mut'in bin Adi, a wealthy person of Makkah al-Mukarramah, he had a son called Jubair, Jubair ibn Mut'in. They already proposed for him to Abu Bakr. Now they knew that the thing is, the, now Abu Bakr anhu, right, who wouldn't want to accept this marriage proposal, whereas you know, Mut'in bin Adi and his family were not even Muslim. They weren't Muslims. And on, on this side, let alone Muslim, you've got Imam Al-Anbiya, Al-Mursaleen, Muhammadur Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and his best mate as well at, this, at, the, at the end of the day. Obviously, he doesn't want to say no to that, but this is how they honored their word. He had given his word to Jubair, uh, Mut'im bin Adi. And Mut'im bin Adi and Abu Bakr, they had always looked out for each other. They never, ever had it been where they'd gone against their word. This is how strongly they held on to their word. So Umar Uman said to Khawla bin Hakim that Mut'im bin Adi has never let Abu Bakr down. Like if he said something, he did it. So he's not gonna he's not gonna budge until he's got an answer from them. They've already proposed, right? And if they're willing to go ahead, then we might not be able to go ahead with this. So they're waiting in the house. Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala who goes to the house of Mut'im bin Adi. And when he got there, not only Mut'im, but his wife was also there as well. So, as soon as he entered, she knew why he'd come. So she addressed him by saying, O son of Ibn Qahafa, Abu Qahafa was the father of Abu Bakr. O son of Ibn Qahafa, if I agree to the marriage of my son Jubair to your daughter, Aisha, I'm a bit worried, you know, I'm fearing that you're going to influence him. And you're going to turn my son into a Sabi just like you. And you're going to turn away from the religion and make him into a Sabi. So Abu Bakr anhu, he heard the woman. And thought, okay, that's your opinion. He turned to Mut'im. What do you say? What do, what do you say? That's what she's saying. But he was more concerned about him because the agreement was with him, not with the missus. What do you have to say? Mut'im bin Adi said, she's speaking my words. Like that's not... I, I, this is my concern, and she's just basically my voice, right? This is, she's speaking on my behalf, really. Um, so, inside, you can tell Abu Bakr is getting really excited, right? And he goes, okay, no worries, no worries, let's end it here then, fine, you don't want to go ahead, no worries, no hard feelings at all, I'm actually quite happy about this. And then, can you imagine when Abu Bakr comes back, the feelings, the joy, uh, he comes back and he returned, and he told Khawla uh, bin, bin to Hakim, he, he told her that um, invite the Prophet over and the Prophet comes over and the nikah is done between the Prophet and Aisha. At that time Aisha anha, was six years old, some narrations mentioned seven. Hafiz ibn Hajar al-Sqalali combines the narrations and he said yes, she was six years old, she started a seventh year. That's why there's narration saying six or seven is, is basically the same thing. Uh, so the nikah happened in the 10th year of prophethood in the month of Shawwal. 
but the marriage wasn't con consummated what we call rukhsati didn't happen until she was nine years old uh, so a few years later and she was the only uh, woman uh, who he married uh, as a woman who had not been married before meaning the only virgin woman he married all the other marriages were to women who had either been divorced or their husband has passed away they were widows and he married them so this was the only woman who he married who hadn't previously been married and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam gave her 500 uh, well it's not he gave her 12 and a half awtiyah uh, in silver uh, that is what he awtiyah was, was, was silver at the time and that's equivalent to 500 dirham as a dowry as mahar and this is what he gave generally to his wives and this is what we call mahrul azwaj mahrul azwaj is the dowry and the mahar the Prophet ﷺ gave to his wives. We commonly use mahar fatimi. When we have nikah, we commonly use mahar fatimi. Mahar fatimi is what Ali radiallahu gave to Fatima radiallahu anha, which happened once. But more significant than mahar fatimi is mahrul azwaj. But there is no custom yet in our people to revive the sunnah of Mahrul Azwaj, which is better than Mahar Fatimi, because this is what the Prophet gave, not once, on a number of occasions to his wives, 500 dirham, silver dirhams, and it would, it's not too far off to be honest from Mahar Fatimi. Um, it, it works out a little bit um, more, but it's not too much more. It's not far off, so it's kind of around similar amounts, and it changes, so you need to check out the time when it's uh, the time of nikah to see what the value of the silver is at the time so that was a nikah with sayyida aisha radiallahu anha and then the marriage wasn't consummated until a few years later bearing in mind there was already a proposal somebody was already interested and they had already agreed to hand her over um, not straight away some years later it would have been but the nikah was already arranged uh, or the engagement you can see there was a proposal there and Sayyida Sauda her nikah was also done in the 10th year, year of Nubuwa. But the difference here was the nikah and the rukhsati as we call it, or the nikah and the consummation of the marriage took place together. So Aisha's nikah took place, but then the wedding of Sauda took place before that. Right? And then the uh, consummation of marriage of Aisha took place later on, three years later. So, Sauda starts living with the Prophet before Aisha anha. Now, who, she was already married before. She was married to a man called Sakran bin Amr. Sakran bin Amr. Uh, both husband and wife were early Muslims, so he was a Muslim, Muslim man, very nice person. And both of them were married, and they both went on the second migration to Abyssinia. So when we spoke about the second migration, these were a couple that actually took part in that second migration to Mecca. And you know that we said that most of the people remained in Abyssinia for 15 years and then joined the Prophet ﷺ with Jafar in Khaybar. Uh, however, some people came back to Mecca, right? So they were some of the people who came back. And when Sakran came back to Mecca, he became ill and he passed away. Prior to his passing away, Sauda radiallahu saw a dream. And in that dream, she saw that the Prophet wasallam came up to her. So she's there and she saw that the Prophet came up to her and placed his blessed foot on her neck. Right? 
And when she woke up, she went to her husband and said, guess what, I saw a dream. What did you see? I saw the Prophet ﷺ, he came and he placed his foot on my neck. And he said that if this is a true dream, when I die, Rasulullah is gonna get married too. And she couldn't she couldn't believe it. She goes, no. And she hid it. She kept it a secret, she didn't tell anybody the dream. And then she on another occasion she saw another dream that the moon broke into pieces and fell onto she was lying down and the moon broke and it fell onto her. And she told the husband, and the husband said, Well, I'm only gonna live for a short while. After that, I'm going to pass away, and then you're going to get married again to a really nice person. And she goes, nah, you must be joking. That's not going to happen. And she kept it a secret to herself. On the same day that dream was seen, Sakran became ill and he passed away. And, uh, uh, yeah, a few days later. Now, Allah Zulqani Rahmatullah says that they had a son called Abdul Rahman. And Ibn Qutayba and Sam'ani and others say that they didn't have any children. So there's a difference of opinion here. Did Sauda and Sakran have children? Some scholars say yes, they had a son called Abdurrahman. Others say no, they didn't have any children. When she finished her idda and her waiting period, Rasulullah uh, married her. Khawla bintu Hakim told Sauda that you are surely a blessed woman. How lucky are you that you've got a husband like the Prophet uh, and she said, Khawla, uh, said to Khawla, can you please go and mention this to my father? Like, uh, obviously the marriage will not happen yet. Uh, you, you need to go to my father and speak to him. And the, her, her father was old. He couldn't go for Hajj. Everybody else had gone for Hajj at that time. Uh, he couldn't go for Hajj. He was old. So Khawla bintu Hakim comes to the father, Zama'ah. Sauda bintu Zama'ah. So he comes to, she comes to Zama'ah and says that, you know, I've got a proposal for your daughter, Sauda. Who is it? It's Muhammad bin Abdullah. She says, that's a really good match. They, you know, they, they are compatible. Uh, what does your friend say? Meaning, who's her friend? Sauda. What's your friend? That? Is she, does she, you've got the proposal. Is she happy with it? And he goes, yes, she's happy with it. Bring her to me. So the father calls her daughter, Sauda and asks her, that daughter, look, are you happy with it? She goes, yes, I am happy with it. And then he says, why don't you invite the Prophet sallallahu The Prophet arrives again, gives 500, uh, well, equivalent to 500 dirham, the 12 and a half which is silver, which is equal to 500 dirham as dowry. And Sauda's brother, Abd, Abd bin Zama'ah, he'd gone for Hajj. When he came back for Hajj and he heard what happened, he started getting soil and toy on his head. Right? Why? Out of remorse, that how could you have done this? How can you marry this man? How could you have done this? Later on, Abd ibn Zama'ah, he accepted Islam. And he relates to himself because every time I remember that, I feel so bad. Why did I regret this? This is the best thing that could have happened to our family. At that time, I wasn't a Muslim. And he'd look back and he would say that at that time, I was very naive. I was unaware. And I did it out of awful and heedlessness. Had I known better, I wouldn't have done this. And on this we end today's session. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us a true love of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Inshallah, next session we will begin the journey of Ta'if. Inshallah, subhanallah wa bihamdih. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdih. Nashidu an la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayhi.